Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Okay, I think we're good. Heather, how you feeling? Good. John, you feeling good? Yeah. And the dog is like a pretty good windbreak. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're 600, 600 pounds and they're 10 feet tall and they're on a four-foot base, so... Yeah, you could hide behind them in a nuclear blast. Yeah. <laughs> Probably survive. <laughs> well, I'm very glad I just recorded that. Um, we could go to the podcast now. <laughs> Hello, Heather Knight. As you just heard, we were recording in maybe my favorite place we've recorded yet at the base of a doggy diner head. I love this episode today. Me too. We've had so many favorite spots to record remotely around San Francisco. The roof of the Oasis Drag Club, top of Mount Davidson, on the ferry was awesome, but this might be the tops. We just recorded on JFK Promenade as really cute kids on field trips and bicyclists and a woman on roller skates like being pulled by her dogs as she took a really long work call. We're all going by smiling. Like There's just so much joy here. Yeah, we're here to interview John Law, who is responsible for these doggy diner heads that are on the JFK promenade right now. Um, we don't talk politics at his request. We do mention it. But um, I got to say, like, it was like a Prop J ad today. <laughs> yes. I mean, it was like, I, I love the woman with the two dogs pulling her on the roller skates, but also the third grade class was Yeah, delightful. they were so cute. Shout out St. Finn Bar. You have very cute students who thought that um, the big red doggy diner head looked a lot like Clifford the big red dog. <laughs> yeah. There was a little confusion. Well, there's a lot of confusion. We're going to talk about the doggy diner heads. We're going to get into the history. I think it's like kind of this iconic thing that some people don't even know what they are. They just think it's some weird symbol of San Francisco. Some people ate at doggy diner. What's your doggy diner history, Heather? I didn't know what they were until I moved here and saw the head on Slope Boulevard. I don't remember there being a doggy diner in Davis. I don't think it got that far. That's where I grew up. But um, the other day, a friend of mine who moved here recently from Australia texted me a picture. She was out for a walk with her husband on JFK Promenade and texted me a picture of a doggy diner head and was like, what the hell is this? I know you will have the answer. And I did. Yeah. Well, you're going to learn a lot about the doggy diner heads today, a lot about the doggy diner itself. Uh, Dan White, Grace Slick, and the Black Panthers come up. I really like talking with John. He's like Gary Camilla and that he goes down these rabbit holes and you don't know where they're going to go, but it's going to be somewhere fun. And we're in the outdoors, beautiful day. I'm thinking a lot about the outdoors because we have an event coming up on Monday, Heather, this Monday, October 17th at 3.30. Yes, we do. You and I will be captains of the last leg of the Crosstown Trail. Anybody who's hiking the whole 17 miles or just wants to show up for the last bit like we are, we're not doing the whole thing. That's crazy. Um, we're going to walk 3.9 miles together with anybody who sh shows up. 3.30 Monday, October 17th. Meet us at Geary and Park Presidio. This is part of a week of celebration of San Francisco called All Out SF, the brainchild of Manny Yakutiel from Manny's.
and a bunch of other civic groups, um, city agencies, nonprofits, art groups are participating with different themes all week. Monday's Outdoors Day, Crosstown Trail Walking, followed by a picnic at the end at Land's End. Manny promised very good cheese and wine, which is basically why I'm showing up. People can sign up, um, not for the cheese and the wine, but they can <laughs> sign up. Uh, there's an Eventbrite where you can sign up for the walk or you can just show up. Just go to alloutsf.com and all the information is there. And there's so many fun things during this week. I saw there's an ice cream day. Mm -hmm. um, we start with Phoenix Day on Sunday. There's a small business day, a civics day that's going to involve, I believe, 10 of the 11 supervisors. <laughs> we won't mention who's not involved. So as you mentioned, alloutsf.com. You can sign up for our walk. You can look at everything that's going on. I'm really looking forward to this. Yes, it'll be a celebration of San Francisco. I'm Peter Hartlove here with Heather Knight. A giant doggy diner head is staring at us right now, and he looks kind of judgmental. And this is Total SF. Thank you very much. Welcome to Total SF, John Law. Hey, what's going on, fellows and gals? We are here on the JFK Promenade with one of the doggy diner heads you've helped preserve. Does this one have a name? Uh, this one is Manny, which is the first one that I got. Oh. Yeah. And did you Mo name it? Or Jack. Did... Oh, okay. I, I named him, yeah. Manny, Mo, and Jack. Yeah, yeah, because uh, we had one for a while, and then we had we got two, and then when we got a third one, it just became a thing. <laughs> and uh, they were kind of, you know, they were mascots for the St. Stephen's Day Parade and a bunch of other local events, and uh so I was thinking they should have names. Everybody said, what are their names? And so I thought about it. I thought, well, talk about another, you know, like kind of not quite disembodied commercial icon, you know, the Pep Boys, which is there. They're, that was a Southern California automotive parts chain, uh -huh. a big one. And they had these uh, figures of these, these guys like in fiberglass, like the dog has Manny, Moe and Jack. And uh, I thought, well, that'd be pretty funny. You know, somebody would get that joke later. And now, like many years later, nobody's ever heard of <laughs> Pep Boys, but you know. Another uh, 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 another historical like anecdote right down the memory hole. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Well, we're here to talk doggy diner heads, but I have I have to ask you a few questions about the Suicide Club. Uh, where did the name come from? What was the group's <laughs> philosophy? And how many times have you climbed the Golden Gate Bridge? Oh my God! Suicide Club uh, was started by four people: uh, Gary Warren, Adrian Burke, David uh, T. Warren, and uh, Nancy Prussia in 1977 came out of the free school movement, specifically the free school, free university, community, which had been formerly at, uh, at SF State. They took it out as a nonprofit school and they were doing weirder and weirder uh, events or classes. And so they decided they needed like a, a group that would be kind of an underground group that wasn't advertised like the, mm -hmm. like the school was. And so they started a thing called the Suicide Club. And Gary Warren got the name from uh, Robert Louis Stevenson, uh, kind of novel. It's not really a novel, it's more like a collection of like interrelated stories called The Suicide Club about a group of uh, London dilettantes who get together and they're all kind of suicidal. And, you know, they, they have a, a lottery that they do. And then one person's chosen every couple of months to be assassinated, but nobody knows who is going to assassinate them or who's going to be killed. Wow. So, uh, so that, that was a conceit that the group was based on. And uh, it was a scary name. And uh, so that kind of like weeded out people who were, you know, uh, not uh, adventurous, let's put it that way. And the, the group would do anything, anybody in the group could come up with an idea for an event. We call it events. 
anything from going to see a movie and walking on a beach and talking about it to climbing Golden Gate Bridge to doing you know massive underground event and uh, treasure hunt and party in an abandoned toothpaste factory, which we did one time. A whole range of events. Uh, uh, you know, for me, it was a formative group. I joined it when I was 19 and probably saved me from being a criminal or juvenile, you know, ongoing juvenile delinquency uh, yeah. at that time. And uh, it was they had a really strong sense of uh, ethics about about what we did, which is really int- different from most people who would sneak into abandoned buildings or go into tunnels. And, uh, uh, yeah, we wouldn't leave. We would never tag or destroy anything. We never broke any locks to get in any places. I just figured... Uh, to be clear, it. though, you were not invited on the Golden Gate Bridge. No, we were not invited <laughs> on the Golden Gate Bridge. <laughs> but we were very careful about how we went about it. We didn't change anything, move anything, yeah. or screw anything up. Or, you know, we closed hatches when we opened and that kind of thing. What was the scariest thing you did as a member of the club? Got naked on a cable car in, oh. uh, on Easter, <laughs> Easter Sunday morning, 1977. Because climbing stuff didn't frighten me. I was a climber, and uh, I love taking people climbing. And many people are afraid of climbing. They'd say they had a phobia about it, but almost nobody has a phobia about climbing. They just are unfamiliar with it. And if you think about it, like if you're climbing, if you're up on a wall somewhere or somewhere above the ground, it's way safer than being on the ground because being on the ground... Uh, people can get at you, and it's people that are dangerous. Mm. So, so climbing stuff was not didn't scare me. I was raised middle class, and getting naked in public was a mortifying thought. And yeah. here I am with this group of San Franciscans and you know transplanted folks who moved here and were kind of a little bit older than me, kind of some of them in the hippie era range. And for a lot of them, it's no big deal. Oh, we'll go streaking or whatever, get naked. Yeah. And for me, it's like I was sick to the stomach <laughs> <laughs> beforehand. I literally, my stomach was tied in knots. I was sweating. And then when we did it, it was like we were take, got on the cable car kind of really early in the morning, right out of the cable car barn. We're going through Chinatown or look, just above Chinatown, and all these little Chinese gals are going to work in the morning, right? And they, they didn't even look at us. It's like there's like 40 naked people on a cable car, and like whatever. Another and day so, in San Francisco. Yeah, another day in San Francisco. And so it busted something in my head. It's like, why was I so afraid of that? Why was I afraid of being naked on a cable car? It's just stupid. It's like, do I need to do it again? No. I mean, it was silly. Did the Gritman you know? say anything? <laughs> <laughs> the Gritman and the Brakeman just... They, when they saw what we were doing, we were taking our clothes. They just stopped the car in the middle of the road and said, let us know when you're done. They said, let us know when you're done. <laughs> <laughs> and that, then they just kind of walked, you know, checked it out, checked the girls out. And that was that. <laughs> you know? Well, I, we're, we're underneath a doggy diner head here. I, I think about so many people um, ooh, who just passed us. Yeah, oh, there goes yeah. the gal who's being hauled by the two dogs. Check oh, that that's out. our favorite JFK <laughs> promenade. Uh, I wish we should. Yeah, a young woman her. who skated by us on the dog heads right now, and she's being hauled by her two little uh, dogs, and literally just not not skating at all, just being. You're facing along. the right way, John. So if you see her coming back, tell us, and we'll get a picture. I will. Yeah, they're not sled dogs. They're not like Alaskan. <laughs> they're there's like a poodle and some kind of terrier, and she was taking a work call earlier on pink roller skates. <laughs> and they're hauling her along. And they've been doing it. This is like a half an hour later. So I'm going to call animal control. This is terrible. <laughs> Dog abuse. <laughs> I did want to ask you about the doggy diner head. Um, I think a lot of people listening. We have we have we have a fairly young, surprisingly young listener base on the mm-hmm. Total SF podcast. I think a lot of people don't know what the doggy diner was, and I wanted to ask you, like, what was the doggy diner? Well, okay. First off, all you kids out there, go on your iPhone or your Android and just Google doggy diner, and eight thousand articles will pop up because it's almost absurdly popular local icon going back decades now. They were the mascots for and the signage for a restaurant chain 
called Doggy Diner, started in 1948 by a guy named Al Ross, who I spoke to on the phone a couple times, and remind me about that, because he was funny as hell. Uh, anyway, um, and uh, and uh, so the chain was, uh, there were as many as 30 restaurants open at the height of the chain, and, uh, and of course they opened and closed in different ones, so it's hard to get an exact fix on how many dog heads there were, but they, they built these 10 foot tall, uh, steel frame inside, uh, fiberglass dachshund heads, and the dachshunds are where, you know, they're elongated cartoonish dachshund, and they're wearing chef's hats and bow ties, and they're, they're fabulous. And they also have this enigmatic look. It's, they're almost like the Mona Lisa of, uh, of uh, cartoon animals, because when you look <laughs> at them, you can't tell, the eyes kind of follow you wherever you go, and you can't tell if they're happy or, you know, if they're sad or if they're mad or if they're going to eat you or what. So <laughs> some kids really have memories of going to the dog diner with their kid after a ball game with their folks or whatever. Everybody in San Francisco of a certain age has a memory of them, everyone. And so, uh, and some of the kids, I've heard people over time had people go, yeah, they used to scare the crap out of me. <laughs> well, I, I heard a story that the, the uh, I think it was Harold Bachman was the designer. Yes, Harold Bachman. That he put one of these, and how tall is this? I mean, 10 feet, 10 they're 10 feet, feet tall, tall, which is really tall. It's taller than you think. It, in his obituary in the Chronicle, it says that he put one in his son's bedroom. <laughs> and his son and was scared shitless. I mean, son, he was, yeah, yeah, yeah. he was like, He'd wake yeah. up and this thing would be looking at him, and he's like, "Dad, can we get it on his?" That's well, kind of heavy. <laughs> this is going a little bit off off course, but uh, that's what Mr. Bachman. Here. We interviewed him. We videotaped and interviewed him for a movie that we made called uh, Head Trip, about taking the three doggy diners on a road trip across country to New York City back in 2003. And uh, so we, we we interviewed all these different people that had been some involvement in the doggy diner chain, and uh, and so when we were interviewing uh, Mr. Bachman, he had. And this is before we took off on the trip. He had a drawing and a sketch of the doggy diner head as the fifth head at Mount Rushmore, <laughs> which was his whole thing about it. See, he was a commercial artist from the 60s. So they, these guys don't get, you know, interviewed. They don't get, I mean, they just do their job, right? And he was like a professional artist. He wasn't famous. You know, he just did commercial work, good, solid commercial work. He used to do, he, he used to do uh, uh, artwork for, among other things, I mean, bread chains, you know, foremost d- dairy, all these different like commercial things. But he also did work for uh, some of the uh, burlesque uh, uh, theaters in town. And he did drawings of Tempest Storm and Lily St. Cyr, who were quite famous local uh, dancers, huh. I would say. And uh, I asked him when we were interviewing, I said, well, did, and he was 86 at the time. I said, well, you, you know, did artwork for, for these gals. Did you know them? And he got this kind of like faraway look and a smile. He didn't really, he said, well, yeah, I, I knew them. And he smiled. <laughs> So who knows? How That's, did uh, he know? That's he was right. a character. That's and so right. he, he inspired us to do uh, to stop at Mount Rushmore. And we did. And we have photographs and video of the three dog heads at Mount Rushmore. Oh, that's, that's awesome. And uh, that's in this, this uh, feature movie that we made. Fletcher Fleur de Jean and I made it. Got uh, in 2003, finished in 2008. And uh, it was in a bunch of film festivals, played at the Roxy for a week. It's not online now, but we're actually planning to put it online. Uh, uh, and uh, and use it as a benefit, probably for Rocket Dog Rescue, which we've done some charity stuff for before. Uh, um, I bring out the dog heads on the trailer to different events, and you know, uh, like we take take them out for like city streets and for neighborhood events, and also for uh, dog uh, uh, charities. Mm-hmm. And so Rocket Dog Rescue, which I like to put a little yeah. link in here for them, they're a great, great uh, group, and they they uh, rescue and place ugly and old dogs Aww. and they're really Aww. good at it and the ugly and old dogs have a lot of heart and spirit <laughs> so they they really work it and they're doing a benefit on november 12th at the sf jazz center which is going to be headlined by um um the most uh, famous uh, uh uh country and western gal and i've seen her perform before and i'm just emmy emmy lou harris duh 
Okay, so Amy Lou Harris is headlining the uh, the Rocket Dog Rescue thing at uh, at the Jazz Center on November 12th. Please go donate money to this group. They're really awesome. Yeah. So I just wanted to mention that because you know the, the the Dogheads were a commercial they were a commercial entity. They were made. And there's nothing wrong with that at all, but they were made to like advertise and they were brilliant in a way. Like the other advertising campaign locally, I would really tip my hat to would be Clover, uh, Clover Dairy. Yeah, they're they're hilarious. I mean, how can you, they're a good product from what I understand. The people who run it. Yeah, they're billboards as you drive up and down 101 up in Sonoma County. There's, and then there's like a bad pun with a huge (laughs) I like all the bad Bad puns. puns. (laughs) (laughs) There are no bad puns, sorry. (laughs) They're they're like dad jokes, all right? Yeah. (laughs) You're a dad. <laughs> <laughs> like tip clove through your two lips. That was one I remember. It's clover is the name of so yeah. clove, and they had this cow named clove. But anyway, the, the dogheads were kind of like that. And and when they were like on the restaurants, people you know they totally related to them. So you know you can like despise certain aspects of advertising as as I do. But there's certain things that are really cute, funny, whimsical, and if the product's good, why not? Well, I want I wanted to get uh, I, I we'll. we'll get to the doggy diner head in your collection but i just wanted to close a loop on uh, al ross a little oh, bit oh yeah because he was a he was a boxer had a lot of interesting things about him um i looked in the chronicle he would go to the cow palace every year and like bid on the biggest prize steer mm-hmm. which he said was going into the doggy diner food but i don't totally believe yeah, it yeah it might have been a little bit of a stunt maybe um, but Doggy Diner, he sold in the 70s and yeah. stuck around till like 86. 86, that's right. Um, last one was in Alameda, and um, there's a subway there now. And then there was also one on Market Street. And I read in the Chronicle that they just went out of business because people were going there and, you know, the average person spent $1.75 and it was mostly sitting on one cup of coffee. Yeah, it, they weren't. Well, what happened is Al, I talked to him on the phone, Mr. Ross, I talked to him on the phone Uh a couple of times um, yeah. back when we were doing the movie, and I wanted to interview him, but it never. We, it, he passed away shortly after he spoke with them, and uh, he was in Palm Springs. Segway two are going by. by way, we'll just note. Yeah. Segways. <laughs> about oh my god. Nineteen segways <laughs> just went by. Sorry. Go ahead. This is a very unusual <laughs> podcasting studio. Yeah. yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> so Al Ross. Uh, so I t- got him on the phone, and he was. Cla- and, and I work in the trades, right? I've been. I've been in the trades. I'm a working guy, and I've been around. You know, people who run business, small businesses, my whole yeah. life, and, uh, and both sides of it had a small business, and so I, I knew who I was talking to. And he was funny as hell, and he was old school, all American, Jack Armstrong kind of up by my own bootstraps. I did it myself. I built my own my empire. You know, Taki <laughs> Tyner, and he's down. He's golfing. You know, I could just imagine him in like like uh, like blue check pants. You know, and, sure. a, and a little cap. And, uh, and so, yeah, he talked about, like, uh, you know, uh, starting the chain. And it's like, it could have been anything. You know, it could have been a, you know, a pickle factory. It could have been, you know, like a, you know, who, any business whatsoever. It just it happened to be a restaurant. And he got into it. And it was, you know, like around the same time, McDon- the McDonald's brothers were doing their thing. And so, you know, franchising. And he talked about the franchise thing. Franchising or having, you know, like a multiple, multiple stores were kind of coming up. And he, I think he'd considered franchising at one time. And uh. there wasn't enough interest. So he just, he owned all the stores or he. Or he had guys who, who managed them for him. But, uh, um, and he was cool. It was fun talking to him, you know, kind of a little gruff, but, you know, kind of, uh, I wouldn't say bothered by being interviewed. He's kind of like bemused at anybody well, he, cared. He was in the Herb Cain column all the time. He was the guy who liked the marketing. And, yeah. And, uh, uh, yeah, no, I mean, generally seemed really positive with the marketing. Yeah. The, the, was, the one thing I, I think he didn't him. want to talk about was little doggy diner trivia when Dan White, 
Oh yeah, that's shot. Right. That's right. Harvey he, Milk and George Moscone right. turned he, himself in at the Doggy Diner. On, he did on, on Van Ness and McAllister. That's right. Oh my right. gosh, I did he not know that. Yeah. He, the payphone. He called up on the payphone yeah. at the Doggy Diner. And his wife. He called his wife and he called uh, Officer. He called Frank Felzone, who was his who was his buddy, who was in the police department for years after that. Um, yeah, I knew a couple cops who were in, who were down there at that at that time that uh, when 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 that whole thing happened. But anyway, that's kind of a little dark, a dark lore, tangent. Little, little dark tangent. Um, but on a, on a more positive note, uh, I know that there's a, at least one place I've run across a reference where Gray Slick used to go there and like the doggy diners. Um, the uh, this is in some article, some print article I've got in my file somewhere that. Uh, <laughs> Ed Meese used to eat at the Doggy Diner in <laughs> Oakland, and some of the Black, Black Panthers also ate there. Wow. <laughs> Which I'd like to be there, you know, when Ed Meese and the Panthers were there at the same time. And, and Grace <laughs> Slick from Jefferson <laughs> Airplane walks in, you know. Right. I mean, that's, yeah. now that's local history. Yeah. So, uh, we'll be right back after this short break. When the Doggy Diner chain closed, um, they were still prominent in people's minds around here because they're just, how can, you not, how can they not be? They're so weird. And there was one restaurant that was left. It was a place called the Carousel. It was, it, 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 it was, uh, it was the Carousel on Yeah, the Carousel. Slope. And it was owned by a guy named Silver yeah. Balestros. And we got to know him quite well because it was the last doggy diner dog head left. And what happened with that is he didn't really necessarily want to have the dog head or whatever because he bought the restaurant when the chain closed down. Single restaurant out of the whole chain. And he just didn't have, he didn't have the 500 bucks or he didn't want to spend the 500 bucks to have the dog head cut down and hauled away as so many of them had been. So he just left it there. And then a couple months later, he realized that about a third of his clientele were coming there literally because of the dog head. Yeah. <laughs> and he got it. And that's the power of advertising, right? So he had it open for many years. Yeah, it, and, was, uh, it was up on a pole and it was like yeah. kind of resting, not in great shape. Really funny story about that. Really funny story. And so what had happened is like it had been going on for a while where there was a, there's actually an ups, and this is only in San Francisco, there was like a historical upswell of people trying to rescue the last dog head. And uh, we actually went to uh, board of supervisors meetings and spoke there. And there were some politicians that were pro-doggy diner and others that were anti-doggy diner. <laughs> How can you be anti-doggy diner? Exactly. <laughs> How can you be anti-doggy diner? But uh, and I want to just say, I mean, for whatever it's worth, I don't want to get political or anything. Uh, but but uh, Gavin Newsom was pro-doggy diner, and so was Leland Yee. Oh, <laughs> okay. huh. so, so right. you know, I mean, you know, criminals and uh, politicians—they all everybody loves them, right? <laughs> yeah. I hope they put that in his future obituary along with the prison sentence and the gun running. He's totally pro-doggy diner. I talked to him about it several times at rallies. But at least he was pro-doggy diner. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and so and so this is. You know, only in San Francisco you get a giant political movement to save, a, like a ten foot tall, you know, like a fiberglass cartoon character. Yeah. yeah. You know, and and I think is that a good thing? I think on the balance, yes. <laughs> Around that same time, and this is two thousand one, I want to say, <clears throat> um, I and a couple of other people noticed. You know, I'm a professional sign uh, hanger. I'm a, a electrical sign contractor. And I worked in science my entire life, which is one of the reasons I ended up. Can we say where you work? Uh, Yeah, of course. I know where your contracts are. I mean, Tribune building, you handle the neon there. Yeah, well, I keep the neon going for the Tribune, and I still keep the neon uh, going. I have a couple of, I don't do much work anywhere. I have a couple of jobs I keep doing. Port of San Francisco sign, I keep that lit. And the Hills Brothers coffee sign in Embarcadero, I keep that lit. And the Tribune clocks and, and letters. Uh, I, I, uh, that's like are, the big three. I know. That's an impressive. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's three. It's, you know, I mean, a new AT&T or whatever corporate name it has anymore is a big neon sign. That's another one yeah. that's, that's still in time. Oh, I was going to say, when the dog had uh, out at Ocean Beach, this is, this is funny. You'll, you'll, you'll like this. Um, I and the guy from the Painters Union, uh, were, we were interviewed by the Independent, which is a n- neighborhood newspaper, like on, on March 28th or something like that. 
March 25th. And both of us independently told them that the dog head was going to fall down because we're both professional sign guys. And not that you need to be a professional sign guy. The bloody pipe was like rusted. So you could stick your finger through the pipe on the this bottom. This is back at the carousel. Yeah, the one at the slow. carousel. Yeah. I'd, I'd go to the zoo and I always wanted to go to the doggy diner. I had like my crappy bologna and American cheese yeah. sandwich. And I always dreamed Well, you're a healthy guy. There. You probably wouldn't want to eat no, the dog not dinner back then. too much. <laughs> not back then. Thank you. <laughs> So anyway, you saw the rust. Yeah, so we saw the rust, and we both told the reporter, we said, look, this thing's going to fall over. The city, now the city owned it. Slope Garden Center, which owned the property, was technically no longer responsible for it, right? So so sure enough, and I'm not making this up, and it's, it's, it, it, I can prove it. Like, we did the St. Stephen's Day Parade on April 1st, which is a Sunday that year. I believe it was a Sunday. And I got home. I lived in Emeryville at the time with my girlfriend. We had a house in Emeryville, and uh, I just parked the doggy trailer on the side of the house, and I got a phone call from... Diana Scott and Joel Schechter at the Ocean Beach Historical Society. And, and this is April 1st, right? And they called me and said, the doggy diner fell down. I'm like, are you kidding me? I said, no, really, it fell down. It's windy out here and it fell down. And I'm like, oh, Jesus. By the time I get there, there's like two news trucks with cameras and, uh, you know, a bunch of people and a bunch of people from, from uh, Public Works, right? And so there's this guy, this like Asian-American dude running around, kind of a short guy in a creased white, I'll never forget, he was in a creased white, you know, like short sleeve shirt and a tie. And he's and it's windy and it's cold and we're all in like overcoats, right? And he's he's running around and he's sweating and he didn't look like a drug addict to me at all. <laughs> and so I said, and I figured out who it was. It was the guy, the head of the Depart- Department of Public Works, which was Ed Lee. Okay. <laughs> and so I'm like, oh. So I talked to him and I go, hey, what's going on? And you know, we've been trying to save the dog heads. And then I and 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 uh, and, and, and David and another friend of mine mentioned uh, it to one of the camera crews. Said, you should interview Ed Lee about what they're going to do. Ask him what they're going to do with the dog head. Ask them. You know. And so they did. And he ended up saying that the city was going to restore the dog head and then put it back up. And I had always been worried that because the city got control of the dog head, right? There's a big beef, and it was kind of in the papers. And I'm sure some people were. It was a silly thing, so I'm sure some people were not happy about it. I just assumed that they were going to take the thing, put it in a box, put it in a giant warehouse like in Raiders of the Lost Ark, and it would never be seen again. So I don't know to this day, but I think that that might have been a tipping point where actually the city kind of had to, like, put the thing back up because they were embarrassed by it falling down. And so they borrowed one of my dog heads to recast the nose, okay? And, And it was such a big stink that they actually did a really good job on it. They really did a good job on it. They had, you know, when you sandblast stuff, right, you use sand, right? They use walnut. Uh, shells, hmm. which is what you'd use for uh, for uh, uh, fine art restoration, like you know Renaissance paintings. Wow. <laughs> That's what they did, and they did an incredible job on it. And the guy uh, Pete Sistos, Pete the painter, and so he did the work. He let he led the team on the painting, and they did an incredible job, really great job restoring it. Hmm. Put it back up on a pipe, you know, had a commemorative event. I, I was out of town for it, but my friends brought the dog heads down. Uh, Joe Fenton drove the dog heads down for the event. A bunch of people from the Cacophony Society were there. And Willie Lee got up and bloviated for a while, and then everybody had a lot of fun you know, at the party. <laughs> and it's still so, there. Yes. It's still up there. still there. So when did you decide you were going to be the doggy diner head guy, and how did you acquire these three heads? Um, it was like becoming a, a drug addict. It happened really slowly, and I didn't think it was happening, and I never would have thought about it. <laughs> and looking back on it, I'm like, how the fuck? How, pardon my, That's how right. the hell you did that happen? And uh, I worked for... You can uh, swear, except there's like a there's like a so there's a great about, class. About eighty kids, kids going by right now. And you just Hi. dropped an F bomb. How you doing? Hi. Hey. Hi. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what school are you from? What school are you? Saint Finbar. Cool. Oh, you know it? 
What do you think of this big dog? What do you think of the big dog? Clifford! It looks like Clifford, yeah, kind of. It is red. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> that was a nice detour, though. It's, okay, this is, look, this is why, okay, you asked me, like, how did I, this is what happened, okay? I got, I got one of these, then I got two, then I got three. It was like spontaneous generation, you know, like mice just popping out of nowhere, yeah. you know, which I used to believe in the Middle Ages is how that happened. Um, and so I got three of them, and I'm in this weird group, this art underground art group, and so they kind of became the mascots for that. My friend's band's Polkaside, right? We'd bring them out uh -huh. whenever Polkaside played. And they had a song called Wiener Dog Polka, but anyway, <laughs> uh, which is, it's a polka song, you know, Wiener Dog Polka. And so uh, Three Day Stubble, another band, Billy Nair Show. And whenever they show, we'd bring the dogs out park in front just because, you know, it's a thing, right? And I realized that people, like, you would see the things, and they were, like, happy. Like, even for a minute, right? You know, you're, in your, you're going through your day, you're getting divorced, you got fired, whatever. You see the dog heads and they'd laugh and smile for a minute. And it just like really got, and I'm not being coy at all here. I mean, they're, I'm not being, it, it really, it's cool. It's a cool thing. You know, and you can see right now, people walk by, they check them out. What the heck is this thing? Some people know, some people don't. But almost everybody <laughs> smiles when they see them. I mean, almost everybody. I mean, it's very rare. I mean, gangbangers, cops. I've been pulled over by the cops probably six or eight times in the last 30 years of hauling these things around, cops pull me over and they come up and they go, you're not taking the dog heads away, are you? <laughs> I'm not, I'm God's honest truth. Several times they've said that. I'm like, you know, they're kind of joking, but kind of not. Yeah. Right? I'm like, no, we're just taking them out for a bit. Don't worry, they're not leaving. <laughs> so, What's the percentage of people who know what they are now versus people who just, oh, that's a cool thing. I mean, it's still a pleasing, fun design, but... Anybody over the age of like 45 will know what they are if they, if they grew up in the Bay Area. Anybody over the age of 45 will know where they are. If you're in the neighborhoods, and this is something that's interesting as far as like history goes, like disembodied commercial icon becoming an historical artifact, right? Um, if you're in the neighborhoods, some kids will recognize them because their grandparents talk about them still. I'm not, and it's, it's amazing, you know, that something like that would be, they're so striking. I mean, you know, the whole, they call it Googie architecture. They, they came up with that name some years ago about like, you know, the giant donuts and the, you know, the giant muffler man and all that stuff. Uh, and, and also the architecture and the, the, uh, fat, often fast food, you know, restaurant architecture that kind of went along with that. If something was like a commercial sales pitch for something that you're going to buy, I mean, if you understand what it is, it's like, okay, it's not necessarily a cynical thing, but it's, you know, there's a reason for it. Okay. There's no reason for these things. <laughs> there's no, there's no longer any reason for them. Okay. And that kind of makes them special in a really interesting way because the connection to people who were here before and actually know what they are is strong because they remember them. It brings back a memory of something that usually was positive for them, not always, but usually positive for them with people who don't know what they are. If they're curious enough, you know, all you got to do is Google, you know, Google yeah. it and a whole bunch of stuff pops up and you can fall down this, you know, like, uh, not that anybody, would, <laughs> but some people probably do this, this little hole of like local history yeah, and it you, brings up all kinds of you things. You end up with, uh, Grace Slick and, uh, yeah. Dan White. Yeah. How'd they end up on JFK Promenade? JFK Promenade. Well, I ran into, uh, I ran into Ben Davis, who has a thing called Illuminate the Arts uh, which is a nonprofit, and he's just a working, hustling art guy. He gets out there and makes shit, makes stuff happen. You can say shit. And uh, <laughs> we, we already, we already put the explicit mark on the podcast. We've had a lot okay. of explicit slavery. But I want kids say to it, Heather. Too. <laughs> say, say a bad word, Heather. Yeah. <laughs> then yes. we've all done it. <laughs> she won't do it. All right, maybe it'll come out naturally later. Poopy, all right. <laughs> <laughs> 
I've heard her swear many times. Okay, like I'm a sailor, sorry. no doubt. I didn't mean to cut you off. Ben Ben Davis. Okay, so Ben yeah. Davis, uh, is, I've been acquainted with for, for some years. He, he uh, produced the Bay Lights. And, uh, and he's like, what would you think about putting a dog at the Golden Gate Park? And I'm like, uh, yeah, you know, okay. Um, you know, they're, they're 10 feet tall and they weigh 600 pounds. And, you know, like I'm a, I'm a licensed contractor, right? And it's like they have to have be on a base that's substantial enough to be in, to have engineering drawings for it and can't fall over and it's got to be really heavy and it's going to be kind of expensive. You know, it's like yeah. I'm, I typically or actually exclusively bring the dog heads around on the trailer for free to charity events. Yeah. That's what they're for and for historical events. And so, and, and I feel like it's kind of my one way of being civically engaged in a way that's positive. Right. And I really do believe in that. And mm-hmm. so, and so I think Ben does too. And so, and so I said, look, it's going to cost you, we got to build a base and do this stuff. So my buddies on a treasure Island, I, I have a container and share a shop out there and they can build anything. And, uh, and so Paul Troutman and Billy Collister, uh, I talked to them and, uh, they, they gave a price, uh, uh, Mike Schoenberg, they gave a price to, uh, to Ben and his group, uh, illuminate the arts. And it was, you know, it was a totally fair, actually kind of low, not a low ball, but a low price, but a fair one. And it's not cheap to build these bases. They're, uh, you know, reinforced steel triangulated with giant water tanks in them filled with water. So that these things can't blow over. They're completely safe. They're both the dog heads, 600 pound dog. They're bolted to these giant, uh, eight foot by eight foot bases that weigh, you know, like 2,800 pounds or something like that. So they're not going to blow away in a windstorm. They're not going to fall on anybody. Are, are you worried? Are they pretty indestructible? Are you worried about damage or, um, or theft? I am <laughs> not worried about be theft hard. because it'd be, it'd be all you got to do. Like, like you don't need to be, uh, you know, Columbo to like figure out. There's a reference for you that nobody's going to get uh, to figure out, you know, who stole a dog head. All you got to do is start asking, like, did you see a giant 10-foot dog head? <laughs> Where would they take them? Yeah, it would be easy to find them. But yeah. um, they've been, I've had them on the street, on the trailer off and on for 30 years they've been tagged twice and i just like to point out these things are we restored them with volunteer labor we did a kickstarter we raised uh, eight years ago we raised a, a good amount of money to completely restore them there's no rich fat cats involved in this at all there's no i mean it's an independent project done by independent artists some of whom were street artists you know myself included in the past i have a little history past history theoretically a street artist and so so don't tag them you know don't, don't mess it's with not the dog cool. yeah. it's bad karma to mess it's with the very dog bad heads. karma to tag them I'll, let me give you an example okay i've had them on a trailer for and i don't want to like push this too much but i've had a trailer for years and years and we bring them out for events i've never gotten a parking ticket for double parking <laughs> <laughs> because the meter maids know if they take it to dog heads they're going straight to hell yeah right so they just don't do it <laughs> hopefully that i didn't just jinx my good luck with that but uh well, you've dedicated a lot of your life to making San Francisco surprising and interesting. Do you think the city is losing its soul? No, not at all. Um, that's a good question uh, because a lot of people think that. And I think part of it, there, there are certain factors, obviously, that are, that, are, that, are, that are hurting the city and have a long time. I mean, property values going up is insanely. Bad, but that's going to turn around here really quick because we've got forty to 50,000 unoccupied spaces in uh, you know, these buildings all around, mm-hmm. all around San Francisco. And at some point, people are going to figure it out, and they're going to start occupying them. Also, when uh, when the big companies don't move back, which they're not, uh, they will be compelled. The property owners will eventually be compelled to 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 make those office spaces into uh, housing. And this is not a political thing on my point. It's just mm-hmm. it's, it's it's simple. If you read history at all, it's obvious what's going to happen at some point, and uh, they'll be compelled to do that. So what we'll end up with is uh, these giant dystopian high rises like out of a J.G. Ballard novel where people actually live, hmm. but people will have a place to live, mm-hmm. you know, and so it'll be better than it is now, like living yeah. in tents. 
Yeah. So, sure. uh, so yeah, I mean, that'll happen. Um, so I'm not too worried about that. With that said, underground art stuff, you know, I mean, in this, okay, I got here in 76, I was 19, I was 17. And, uh, I was looking for, I wanted to be in a place where stuff was happening. And, you know, I'd heard San Francisco, there's a mythology about San Francisco. And a lot of people come here for that reason. Why do these tech guys come here? Right. Because they're in some stuffy college, you know, studying engineering, you know, back in the East coast. And then fuck, fuck it. I'm going to go to San Francisco because of drug and sex and rock and roll. There's a mythology, right? It's freedom, you know, the freedom of thought, freedom of the, to say whatever you want, freedom to be, you know, there's that mythology about uh-huh. it. And so that's why people come here. You know, uh, uh, I mean, Oscar Wilde said, I mean, if, if someone disappears, they're always said to be seen in San Francisco. <laughs> so a lot of people would end up, people would come here to get away from something or to like form a new life or to try something new or because they're despondent and they'd want to just go to a new place. And you can't go any, you can't go any further because you'll drown, right? Mm-hmm. You just got to, you got as far as you can go. So they stayed here. So that made for a really interesting mix of people in the Bay Area, a really interesting mix. And so, yeah, the, the financial stuff has hurt it. You know, a lot of people had to leave for different reasons, but I think that's going to turn around. And right now, and I can't talk about it much, but there's there are underground events happening in San Francisco that nobody knows about because they don't because the kids, twenty year old kids, don't put them online. They have private forums and they do rock and roll shows. And they do they do uh, EDM events in weird places. They do uh, under I could say underground exploration, which is a field that I'm still heavily involved in. I can't speak about specifically at all. It's the biggest thing going on in the entire world right now in, in underground culture. Hmm. And nobody knows about it unless they're involved in it. Hmm. And, uh, and I, you know, uh, you won't find reference to a lot of this stuff online. Do so, you still uh, find joy here in San Francisco? I would be somewhere else if I didn't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's a great town. San Francisco is a great town. It's a provincial backwater in a lot of respects. You know, I mean, you know, the professional, uh, uh, you know, uh, the professional blue chip uh, gallery art scene here, with some exceptions, there's some good gallerists. But with that said, I mean, you know, the MoMA and the, and the city, the city establishment when it comes to the arts, they all think we need to be New York City, and they're just full of crap. Mm-hmm. Like San Francisco has an incredibly vibrant art history. They have an enormously influential underground art scene for the last 30 years. It's barely been scratched by the by the big shot, you know, like, uh, you know, millionaire, like art commodities people because they can't sell it, right? I mean, Survival Research Laboratories, the, the premier machine art group in the entire world, you turn on the TV and there's some... Some kid, you know, like in dirty, you know, dirty uh, coveralls with uh, with dreadlocks welding up some janky art thing. It goes right back to uh, survival research labs. Uh, the entire maker movement came, was inspired by uh, survival research labs. The entire, uh, uh, the whole battle bot thing come directly out of survival research. But you haven't heard of them because, and they're an art group that's been around since 1979. And there's so much art here that wasn't called art when it started. Yeah, it wasn't I mean, called street art. You can't sell it. Street skateboarding was yeah. considered a... a a problem for the Department of Public Works. It yeah. wasn't considered art, and graffiti right. that came out of here, um, you know, is now. Oh yeah, some of it embraced. is. You know, Barry McGee and some other people have gotten their due with that. But with that said, I mean, the established art scene here—they're just—they're—they're they're provincial to the point of absurdity. Well, we're under the doggy diner head. Uh, you know, the on the Mount Rushmore, literally of of uh, local landmark icons. <laughs> do you have, do you have a couple favorites? Do you have a couple favorite kind of underrated landmarks, signage, neon in San Francisco that you wish maybe got a little bit more love? That's still existing. A lot of stuff's gone. Yeah, a lot of stuff's gone. I mean, I used to work on the Canadian Club Board, which was the largest uh, neon billboard in the Bay Area. Uh, it was right on the Central Freeway. It was on Thousand and One Harrison or Brant Brandon Street, that's right. Massive billboard um, right across the street from the uh, Trader Joe's. 
Yeah. And uh, amazing billboard. And they took that down. I mean, there are only few of them left in the world. And there's one in New Jersey or someplace like that. The ones that I work on are, are kind of classic. I mean, the port, they're never going to do take down the port of San Francisco sign, knock on wood. Um, and, uh, you know, the, you know, the port understands the historic value of it. And it's just, it's an iconic, I mean, I mean, you know, it was in, uh, streets of San Francisco. They'd fly in on the helicopter shot right it's over. It's in you know? Star Trek. Yeah. It's in Star it's Trek. It's still around in the year 2500. Yeah, Sorry, Heather. Exactly. And it, it, it always details Star Trek. He always brings Trek. up Star Trek. Yeah, she's well, not, a, she's not a fan. Are you a Trekkie? It's kind of like being a burner. <laughs> a little bit. I think Beep's Burgers may oh, be yeah, the correct I answer. I would, yeah, 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 of course. Duh. I would love yeah. for them to like yeah. commission you to restore that sign. Well, I mean, it's still a great looking it's sign. It's a great but, sign. Yeah, Beep's yeah. is awesome. Yeah, yeah. And then yeah. Jim Rizzo would be the guy to do it. I might help out. But uh, yeah. I mean, I, I don't do too much heavy work anymore. I do a little service work on the port sign. and the Well, that's Bill that's going to be our next Kickstarter uh Save save the beef sign. Yeah, what else? Oh, you know, uh, C and H Sugar, yeah, in Crockett. Oh, C and H Sugar. C and H Crockett, Sugar yeah. is is one of the most awesome signs in the entire country. I used to work on it when I worked for American Neon Sign Company. Uh, no, no, it was it was Ad Art. That's right. I'd go out there with Billy Greaves, and uh, and right up when I was like thirty, you know, 28, 29, 30, and right up and down uh, on a bosun's chair on a set of falls all day long, changing light bulbs. Oh, that like literally, had one nose bag full of new light bulbs and one nose bag to put the old ones in. And Billy would be up on top of the sign, you know, smoking a cigar. He's older guy, and you know, he loved me because I always wanted to go over the wall on the chair. He'd be smoking a cigar, and we'd work on it all day, and you know, do the neon outline, and then replace the light bulbs. Yeah. So I worked on that for years. I love that um, sign. It's it's a cool one. That's yeah. probably the the best. That's the that's the coolest classic sign in the Bay Area that's still still going. Yeah. Uh, uh, so. The Cacophony Society, which we didn't talk about very much, um, but there, there's a lot of Doggy Diner lore in that book. And that book was uh, uh, edited, written and edited by me, Kevin Evans, and Kerry Galbraith, uh, published in 2013 by Last Gas Publishing, which is an, another iconic San Francisco uh, uh, business. And the name of the book, to be clear, is, is Tales of the San Francisco Cacophony Society. You can get it at lastgasp.com. Or just go online and find it. It's like it's twenty five bucks or something online. Yeah. Well, it was so fun to talk to you under this giant doggy diner head. Thank well, you for joining us. Yeah, thank you for you know, thank you for having me and being interested. Yeah, so. thank you for bringing joy to San Francisco. Yeah. There, as you said, people are just walking by and smiling. I've and seen reacting. so many smiles since we've been yeah recording. Yeah. yeah. Do you just sit here and watch that? Uh, I was kind of hanging out before you guys got here and over there you know, reading a book and. Uh, and I know there's a, one other, another school class came through and, and you yeah. know, I talked to them for a little bit and they were curious about it. And, you know, like I say, people just, they laugh or they yell out Doggy Diner and it just, <laughs> it makes my day, yeah. you know. And, uh, oh, don't forget Rocket Dog Rescue Benefit yes. for, for old and, uh, and, uh, and you know, like, uh, and ugly dogs. Um, <laughs> November 12th, <laughs> November 12th, SF Jazz Center. Please give them some money. Cool. Great. Awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you for coming on. Thank you. I wanted to know which dog is Jack and which dog is... Thank you for listening to the San Francisco Chronicle. Our music today is from the Sunset Shipwrecks, Castro organ player David Hegarty, and cable car bell ringing from eight-time champion Byron Cobb. Support Total SF in the newsroom that creates it by investing in a digital Chronicle edition. It's less expensive than you think at sfchronicle.com slash pod. What school are you from? What school are you? St. Finbar. Cool. Oh, you know it? What do you think of this big dog? What do you think of the big dog? What 
It looks like Clifford. Yeah, kind of. It is red. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> that was a nice detour, though. <laughs>